0: The Cool Kids Table. Before we get started today, I have this new sponsor who I talk about at the top of the show, and they've been fantastic. So let me just run through it. We want to we want to thank Credit Suite for sponsoring the show because let's face it, sometimes business owners need capital to grow and expand. Hey, we've got payroll, hiring, acquisitions, but access to capital can be difficult. And risky for business owners, especially when it's tied to their personal credit scores. And yet, the SBA and NASDAQ, Entrepreneur Inc., SCORE, and many other financial authorities recommend that business owners obtain business credit to separate their consumer and their commercial credit reports. But getting credit for a business, that can be hard, especially for a small business. But Credit Suite empowers business owners and entrepreneurs to get the money that they need to grow their business. They also help companies obtain business loans and credit lines through 1,000 different lenders. They help business owners build business credit for their EIN that's not linked to their personal social security number, regardless of their personal credit quality, regardless of cash flow, and regardless of collateral. A business owner can use business credit to fund their business versus relying on personal funds, personal guarantees, or those questions to friends and family of, can you lend me money? Hey, Credit Suite has helped over 15,000 people build business credit. And I checked, they have an A+ rating with the Better Business Bureau and a 5-star ranking with Trustpilot. You might be surprised to know that any business can qualify for business credit, even startups, but you got to follow the proper steps to obtain it. They map out these steps in their free guide. To download this guide, visit creditsuite.com/cool as in cool things entrepreneurs do, that's creditsuite.com slash cool. And speaking of cool, today's guest is one of the coolest people I have met in a long time. I met him at the New Media Summit, and he just had us laughing the whole time. He was one of these people who everyone was drawn to. He had kind of one of those dry sense of humors where you weren't really sure where he was coming from. But the more we got to know him... The more we found out, he was the real deal. His podcast is actually the top podcast for people in the Fortune 100, for Fortune 500 to listen to. He was also named by Inc, one of the top 100 leadership speakers in the world and a top 30 global leadership guru. I mean this guy is doing things at the highest level. He is an impact strategist that turns people into leaders. And turns leaders into purpose-driven leaders. And so I am so excited that we have on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, one of the coolest people I've met in a long time, Dov Barron. Hey, Dov, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much, mate. (laughs) I'm really excited to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. As you said, you and I had such a great time when we hung out in San Diego uh-huh. And I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation
0: There were a group of us in, in a, in a, in a uh, Uber XL I think there were five or six of us in this in this big black van And I don't think I have ever laughed so hard in an Uber I mean, the driver was looking at all of us like, are these people crazy? But, but it was a lot of fun So tell us all, I gave you kind of the highlights Oh, you've been named top this and you're the king of business gurus But why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do?
1: Uh, who I am, what I do. God, that's a long question. Uh, <laughs> We're here all I night. Am, it's okay. Uh, who Who I am? As you said, I'm a speaker. I speak internationally. I've spoken around the world: Australia, Canada, U.S., uh, Europe, uh, the U.K., even Iran. Um, the World Business Conference. Hmm. So I speak. I speak around the world. I work with companies, organizations, and help them to develop their leaders into purpose-driven leaders creative purpose-driven organization with a purpose-driven culture. And I work privately one-on-one in coaching and mentoring high-level leaders, people who are CEOs, athletes, entertainers, high-level entrepreneurs, people who are already, uh, I always say, if people look at you and go, I want to be you when I grow up, and you're going, hmm, I wonder what's next, you need to have a conversation with me. (laughs) Because whatever the challenge is, I can break you through it and have you just rocket to wherever it is you want to go to.
0: Well, and I think that's important. I mean, as I, I spend a lot of time with people who are entrepreneurs and even very successful ones, from the outside, we think, oh, they're crushing it. But from the inside, a lot of us feel like I've hit a plateau. And so I think even at the highest level, when you get to the C-suite of these Fortune 500 companies, I think people still feel the same thing. So they need someone like you.
1: Well, I think you said it best, um, you know, when, when I actually saw you speak, and something you said, which was, uh, what do you call it? Uh, stuck, the upper middle.
0: stuck in the high
1: middle. High middle, thank you. Yeah, stuck in the high middle, and and just to put that in context for people, because if you make twenty grand a year, okay, somebody making forty grand a year is wow for you. It's double your income. But the person who's making forty grand a year is not thinking that that's their top. They're thinking that eighty is. Well, it's exactly the same when you look into the context of somebody who makes five million a year. There's always this upper middle. So, the language I use, you use the upper middle. What I use is if your life looks like a 10 to everybody else, but it feels like a seven to you, talk to me. Hmm. Because money is not the only measure. If you're using money to measure, then there's lots of people walking around who are 10s, who are 12s out of 10, right? <laughs> Bill Gates is a 12 out of 10, you know, when it comes to money. Uh, Jeff Bezos, 12 out of 10 when it comes to money. But at a personal level, at a level of soulfully connected to something, maybe you're feeling like, I'm actually a seven. And the interesting thing about it, and I tell this people all the time, is that when you get to that place and you break through, you will have a 10 experience. But once you're living that 10 experience for a while… Guess what it becomes?
0: Seven. (laughs) It comes back to a seven. I mean, I I experienced that in my career. I've had from the outside looking in, I have this very successful career as a speaker, yet I feel like a seven. But there's a lot of people who call me who think I'm a 10, and it's not about money. But it's about the types of clients I have, and you know I've sort of outgrown some of that, and, and I have this whole new program called the Paradox of Potential, and it's it's something that's challenging me because it's taking me into larger, different types of clients. It's taking me into the Fortune 500, and so now I got to go back and be scrappy like I was seven years ago when I was launching. You know what I what I started in this career. So it is true: is is you reach the next plateau, and it, you find oh yet another plateau.
1: Yeah, and you know, you said something there that I actually speak about as well, which is um, the potential is the buoyancy of cowards.
0: <laughs> Describe that for me. What does that mean?
1: Well, it means. Um, did you? For those of us who are a little older, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those of us who are a little older, we might remember a movie with Marlon Brando called On the Boardwalk, a- and where Brando was, you know. Was a fighter, and his line in that movie that stands out is, "I could have been a champion." Um, And and I think there's a lot of us, including myself, who could have been a champion. And what I mean by that is, we're living on the buoyancy, the cowardice, and the buoyancy of potential. It's all I coulda, but Mm -hmm. what did you? If you don't put your ass on the line, if you're not willing to step up and really take it on the chin then you're living in the buoyancy of potential where people are constantly telling you, you should be a superstar. You could be a superstar, but you're not really doing it. You're not putting your balls to the wall, ass on the line. And until you do that, nothing really counts and everybody's filled with potential. And if you are an entrepreneur and you're hiring somebody on board, the worst thing you can do is hire potential. And I know that that's counterintuitive, but it's the worst thing. You've got to hire people who are, whose ass is on fire. (laughs) <laughs> Not with potential, but they are on fire. Like I don't have no idea how to do this, but I am on fire to do it. Okay, now we can talk.
0: Well, and that's—I mean—that that there's a lot of synergy there because that's just what I talk about. It, you know, I use different language. My comment is potential doesn't equal results, and we Ooh. can get caught up in oh, Becky has so much potential, but two years later we're transitioning her out of the company, and people are like, oh, what happened? Well, you know, there was no. There was no plan. There was no purpose. They didn't you know, align themselves with the right people, and there was a gap between potential and results, and, and they, they couldn't find a way sort of to get across that. So usually a little later in the episode, I ask people about that, but since we're here, in addition to just being on fire, what do you think it is that separates people who go from potential to results versus people who are stuck in, I, I could have been a contender?
1: Right. Uh, Great question, and I'm going to give you an answer nobody's going to like. Is that all right?
0: I I love answers nobody's going to like.
1: Good. (laughs) The difference between potential and action is pain. Mm. It's that simple. Nobody likes pain. pain. Nobody likes pain. Nobody likes pain. Well, there are a couple of people, you know, they, they've got some nice latex outfits.
0: <laughs> That's a whole different podcast.
1: <laughs> That's a different podcast. I know what podcast that goes on. <laughs> uh, and maybe we'll get to that. I think it's called Donkeys. Anyway, we'll, <laughs> coming back to this, it's pain. And what I mean by that is, like, so people talk about, we, you know, we've all seen Oprah and we've heard the aha moments. I don't know if you swear on this show, but I swear. Is it okay if I swear? You know
0: what? I can check the little explicit box once in a while. So, we'll, okay, we'll, so let you, we'll let Dov be Dov.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Because, you know, people talk about having these aha moments. And you may write in, and I encourage you to write to Tom and write to me. I, it's very important that you do that because Tom puts the time and the energy and the effort into building this show, bringing on the guests. He didn't get paid to do that. You know, you need to show him some love and appreciation for doing what he does to make this happen, to bring you great guests. Let him know that this is having impact. But here's the thing. It's nice if you tell him, you know, I had a real aha moment. That conversation you had with Dove or with whoever it was, was really gave me an aha moment. Let me just tell you something about aha moments. They're filled with potential and potentially smoke and mirrors. I don't give a crap about your potential. How do you know? Because you've been in relationships with people who had phenomenal potential, who, who you ended up wanting to kill. That potential doesn't work. You don't need aha moments. You need fuck it moments or fuck you moments. That's what will move you from potential to action. When it becomes so painful that you're saying, fuck it, I will not put up with this anymore. Then you'll take action. When they say you can never do this, you're not capable, and you go, fuck you, that's the moment you're looking for. That's where potential becomes action.
0: So that's, you know, you mentioned Oprah. That's my favorite story in business is when her first TV job, the producer pulled her aside and said she wasn't that good and she was too fat for TV. And that's what she did. She didn't roll over and say, Oh, I'm too fat for TV and I don't have the right personality. She said, I think I actually have a unique personality that's going to revolutionize television and she went and did it. And I think that is, you know, that's like my favorite story of anyone in business because it's like, could you imagine being there? I mean, how would you, I don't know if he's still alive or what, but how would you like to be the producer? And I'm sure if he's still alive, somebody's called him out on it. How would you like to be the well, producer you, who told Oprah, you're not going to make it?
1: But, but you see clearly what you're describing there is Oprah having a fuck it moment, mm-hmm. not an aha moment, a fuck it moment. Fuck you. You don't get to tell me because I'm not white and I'm not thin that I can't do it. And now, you know, she is the biggest name in the traditional world. TV
0: ever. And, and beyond, right? I mean, she's Academy and Award yeah. winner. I mean, she's, you know, she's a th- philanthropist. She's, she's everything. I'm reminded of another story. One of the biggest selling sort of motivational books of all time is Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I met the authors uh, one time at a conference where they were speaking and they were with a publisher on a panel and they were talking about how they were turned down officially 20 some odd times but they had sent the book times. yeah 27 times but they had sent it to 144 publishers most of them just ignored them but they received they received 27 uh, rejections and the lady on the panel who was a publisher when it came her time she raised her hand and said i'm one of the 27 and she goes, I actually think, and she, she was friends with them many years later, and she goes, I think the actual term I used was, who would buy a book of goofy stories? And the audience laughed, because she was very self-deprecating at the fact that she missed it. She missed the biggest phenomena in decades in the book world, because she thought, who would buy this? And of course, well, it was me, the best-selling book you ever.
1: about that, because it's a great entrepreneurial story, because I actually know Mark and Jack. I know both of those guys. And so everything you just said, absolutely correct. What most people don't know is the book was picked up by Health Tech. What was the name of the company? It was a health publisher. Right. Health publisher, no relationship whatsoever. And they only said yes on one condition, that you buy the first 5,000 books. So they bought the first 5,000 books and and Mark put it on his credit card that was already full. (laughs) He didn't have any money. He borrowed money to put on his credit card so that he could buy those books. And then they went out and flogged them and they went on every show, every podcast, everything there was. If they had two listeners, Mark would go on it. Mark would put his name on anything. Mark is the ultimate guy for put my name everywhere because somebody might buy a book. And that is Mark's entrepreneurial spirit is extraordinary, far more than Jack's actually. Because Mark will actually sell his own soul if he needed to. He, you know, that, he's driven. He's well, driven around his stuff.
0: Another story they told was that they knew because they had to make it. They were both broke. They literally came up with six, three hundred and sixty-five ways to market a book, and they put them on post-it, little yellow post-its, and they put them on a wall. And they would come into the office each day, and they would just whatever one inspired them, they would pick it. And this was back. The book came out during the O.J. trial. So they sent a box of books to the jurors just because maybe they, something would happen, and then all the jurors get off the bus going in. They're all carrying the same book, and then the news media picked up on it and said, why are all of the sequestered jurors reading same?" Well, it's because they mailed it to them, and some bailiff decided, no, they can have this book of stories, and they all liked it because it was a good read. And so they were all carrying it in and out of the courtroom, and he said it was just an idea like, oh, we could send it to the, to the OJ trial. And
1: but, but that's a, you, see, you just you just nailed down entrepreneurialism, because if you're going to be entrepreneurial, you have to think outside of the box. And Mark and Jack did that constantly, so that's how you ended up with chicken soup for vets, <laughs> right? Chicken, chicken soup, soup for, for everything. Chiropractors, because you know who thinks about you know where can I sell my book? I don't know, veterinaries, <laughs> chiropractic offices. <laughs> that's that's exactly what they did. They thought about how can I get it out. And, and I remember working with them because they, they asked me to actually be part of that the whole process. Um, and it was fascinating because the only book they ever had anything to do with at a writing level was the very first one. And they didn't write very much for it.
0: Right, everybody else they, wrote it, yeah.
1: Of course, but they had enough context to get Tony Robbins and other people to write for them. They did a little bit of editing and they wrote the forward and the backward. After that, they always hired two people. So I knew a couple of people who worked on some of their books. And those people were then the official editors, and they ran it, and it was still under their brand. They still got their percentage. They paid out the editors, and everybody else wrote the shit for them. And they had, you know, it's still going on. And they sold it for twenty-six million back to Health Tech, mm-hmm. who they did it with. They sold it to them, and Jack to this day says we undersold.
0: Yeah, oh, I'm sure that I'm sure that they did. So, so you obviously didn't like like start off just being this like business. Leadership guru. What was your early days of your career? What what did you do? Like what did young dov do? <laughs>
1: uh, okay, here we go. Diving right in. Um, so you know, at a level of business, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a kid. I started my first business, um, and I'm not talking about paper rounds and and washing cars and trimming hedges. Yeah, I did that shit because I was born in I was born in a ghetto and we were poor and just needed some money. But my first uh, venture into the business world, wait for it, was uh, I left school at 13 years old um, so that I could enter into a hairdressing apprenticeship. I became a hairdresser. I did a, I did a four-year um, apprenticeship in 10 months. I was super fast. I was, I was an artist. That was what my thing was. Everybody thought I was going to be an artist. Um, I did a four-year apprenticeship in 10 months and was teaching in the academy by the time I was 15 Hmm. and left there at 15 and started my own mobile hairdressing business, which meant I was on my bicycle with a bag around my neck and all the materials fixing people's hair. And that's how I started. That was my entrepreneurial uh, adventures. And I can remember cycling to this place called Whitefield, which was about a good hour cycle away from where I lived, you know, so I had arrived sweaty and stinky and all the rest of it to work with like 14 women in their house, perming and coloring and cutting their hair and coming home. And cause they were paying me and I was just shoving money in my pocket and coming home and taking out these pound notes and <laughs> like, all crumpled up and putting them on the bed and going, Oh my God, look at all this money. <laughs> so, so That was where it started.
0: So that's uh, you know that's more of a unique start than most people who I who I've interviewed at 15 cutting cutting hair for 15 women in a kitchen is is a uh, an interesting entrepreneurial start. So then where did you go? What was next? Uh
1: then I actually went back into uh physical salons and ran the businesses, uh, ran several businesses from there. Um then then I ran them parallel, ran physical businesses, but also ran a mobile thing. Then I moved to New Brunswick, uh, East Coast, Canada, because I got a job offer as an artistic director for a hair salon, hmm. uh, for a, a chain of salons, and I became artistic director for them, uh, which meant teaching and training people, which is where I got my original skills around teaching and training for them. Um, and I was on a work visa, but really couldn't stand working for anybody else, I realized. Um, And so, again, started up another uh, mobile, and that's what I did. So I started my own business there. And then from – so ran salons there. From there, went to Australia and started as salons there. Now, all this is going on. Meanwhile, as we think you and I talked about, Um, While I'm studying metaphysical studies, I'm traveling to the world to study with different spiritual masters from around the world in Vedanta, which is Hindu philosophy, Buddhism, the Tao, Gnostic Christianity, and Kabbalah. Then I started studying psychology, because I I was very interested in that as a child, got more interested in it. Um, And then in 84, while owning salons, while actually owning an image consulting firm as well, that I ran side by side with my salons, stumbled into quantum physics, and then started to think about the intersection of quantum physics, metaphysics, and psychology, and how those three things came together, which is what I uh, I eventually wrote a dissertation on, um, and started different businesses, and then got invited to speak in 1984, yes! 34 years ago, which so, is amazing because not to I'm make, only 37.
0: I was going to say, not to make you feel old, I graduated high school in 1984. Meanwhile, I was driving my Ford Mustang around Newport Beach, California.
1: And you've seen the picture of me as a guy who would not be let into the United States today.
0: <laughs> there was a picture where you looked a bit like a terrorist, I think, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I, I look like the...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we can just go from there. Yeah, you—you you just didn't look like a safe guy to be around.
1: No, I didn't. I, I looked like the illegitimate child of Saddam Hussein. <laughs> um, so you started so that speaking. When I, that's when I started my speaking career. And uh, so, how did you take all of
0: this—this this hair salon stuff and the metaphysics—and then take it into this leadership guruship that you've really created? This this top tier leadership. How did you merge all that?
1: Yeah. And it's not something that happened overnight. It's a good question because it's not something that happened overnight. It was actually uh, quite the evolution because, you know, I had run my own businesses. Um, I'd had salons. I'd ran businesses. I had big staffs. I'd run companies, uh, my own hair salon companies uh, across different salons from different countries. So I was kind of used to all that. Um, and the understanding of the psychology of how people work, what drives people. And it was kind of fascinating because while I was studying psychology, my business partner, I, I'd work in the salon part of the time, and my business partner would say, you know, you're, you're pretty good with hair. He was way better than I was. He goes, you're pretty good. He goes, but you're really busy, and you know why people come to see you? And I said, to get their head on. And he goes, nope. He goes, they come because they want to talk to you. And so I was kind of this counselor. And, and, but it would, it would shift into business. So people would talk to me about their their personal shit that was going on with their kids and their wife and their husband and, uh, you know, or whoever it was. And then that would sort of move into, well, here's what I'm doing in business. What do you think about that? And I became this business quote advisor with this background in psychology and understanding what makes people tick. And so that was part of how the image consulting business came about because I was helping people. Well, if you want to understand how people work, You've, the first thing they have is a visual imperson- impression of you. So how do you make the visual impression? What is that? And what is the message that it's sending when they see you? Then when you've got them into that, then how do you engage with them in a way that is very authentic? And I did, that wasn't the word in those days, but it's very real, in a way that, that people see you as real and not full of shit and just making stuff up to impress people. But actually, this is who I really am. And so that was where that started. Then I got invited to speak, as I said, with a friend of mine who, was, uh, who owned a national menswear, and I think I told you that story about the guy who owned the national menswear. I don't know whether that's an appropriate story for here, but that's how I got started in speaking.
0: So let, I want to delve into something a little bit because I'm interested in this whole metaphysical stuff, but I've never really studied it. So to me, it's sort of like woo-woo, it's sort of out there, I don't understand. Totally. So, so, so how does that fit into the world of like Fortune 500?
1: So, here's the way that I explain it. Um,
0: are you a musician? Uh, no. In fact, I'm the opposite of a musician. I have a ten ear. I have a tin ear.
1: Okay. Um, if I take this tuning fork in my hand, and it's set to E, okay? And I have another tuning fork in my hand, which is also set to E. And if I take this one in my right hand, and I clang it, so it now starts to make a, you know, it vibrates. Have you any idea what happens to the tuning fork in my other hand?
0: I'm going to guess that it starts to vibrate.
1: Exactly. It starts to vibrate. That's called sympathetic resonance. Sympathetic resonance. So in quantum physics, there's a term called resonance. And human beings have personal emotional resonance fields. We resonate at a certain frequency. It's what pulls the five of us together in, in, in San Diego, where we just all pull together. There's a common thread. I call it the single red thread. It's what I speak about. It's it's a it's a thread of, of purpose that pulls us together. So when I'm working with a company, one of the things that I do is I'm standing, sitting there with with in a in a corporation. I'm saying, okay, so who's the CEO? You. Who hired? Who did you hire personally? And there's usually two people they hired. Not usually many more. And, and then we start talking about who each person hired. And then we look at, well, why did you? Hire them and you know oh were they great skills and great experience well I go, okay if they had no skills and they had no experience but you still had to hire them why would you hire them I go, well I like them why did you like them? And, you know and, and they'll, they'll name stuff up the top of it but that but what it will always come down to is I just knew mm-hmm. that's resonance mm. we call it intuition but it's not intuition it's resonance so here's the thing when you build a company around purpose so we've got a leader who is purpose-driven, who knows that purpose. So now that unconscious thing has become conscious. It's no longer woo-woo. It's no longer metaphysical, but it's conscious. I know what my purpose is. When I'm interviewing, when I'm hiring, I'm looking for people who have a resonance of purpose that is aligned with mine. Now, when we come together, we create a collective resonance where we're all building around this same purpose. That creates... a a magnetic or resonant field that pulls others in and builds a company around it. So now we've got a company built on a single purpose where everybody's purpose adds to it. It becomes a collective and it's incredibly powerful. And we see companies transform with it. And again, I do this with, with entrepreneurs, individual entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and finding that purpose transforms your business because it shows you who your ideal client is It allows you to pull that ideal client. It aligns you with that ideal client. As you can tell by just listening to me, I am not for everybody. I'm good with that. (laughs) My job is to get you off the fence because I'm not standing on a fence. If you don't like me, that's rocking. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means we're not a fit, and that's great. I have got people who have become clients who hated my guts 10 years before, and then they came back and said to me, you know, I realized I didn't like you because of something that was going on with me. And I get it now. And, I, I, and th- these are actually some of my best clients. Uh, people who recommend everybody. And they'll say, Dove might rub you the wrong way because he'll challenge the shit out of you. <laughs> but you will transform your business and you'll transform your life. My work is not about transforming businesses. It's about transforming people. That naturally transforms their businesses. But it also transforms their relationship with their kids and their partners. And they become more loving and more compassionate. Because for me... It's actually about relationships and bonds, and you know that from the conversations we had. Even though I'm fierce, I'm deeply loving, deeply compassionate and about relationships because without that, there's nothing.
0: Well, and I, think, that, I think when you were talking about the fact that you know, the CEO, just I, I just knew I liked him. I actually wrote that down because I kind of got chills when you were talking about it because in my own business, you know, I don't get hired by everybody. And every time I get hired, it's usually good, but every now and then, it's a great fit. And I know I'm the right person for the audience. And, and I've actually talked to some meeting planners and some other decision makers on committees as to why me. And on those ones that were just great, where it's like the universe came together. They said, you know, we actually were looking at somebody else and there was something about you. We knew you were going to transform our client. And I always, when, when people have said that many times that we chose you we just knew. And it's like, that doesn't help me because I'm trying to recreate this. And yet when you said it, I had sort of an aha moment that actually that, that makes a lot of sense in my own career. So I, I think a lot of people probably sat up when you said that going, oh, I've experienced that.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's, it's very well said, Tom, because I think that we, we, we want to find the right strategy. We're all fucking strategy. You're know, going to go, right? We're going to find the right strategy. But the truth is the right strategy is you. That's the right strategy. The right strategy is to be you. Now, let me be clear here for anybody who's watching this, because that's the lamest advice you'll ever get in your life. Just be you. And the the reason it's lame advice is because most people haven't got a clue who they are. Uh So they become somebody else when they meet them. And and the analogy I give is I I said, how many of you, I'll say it to an audience, how many of you are single? Small percentage, put their hands up. How many of you remember being single? And I, you know. And and I'll and I'll walk out into my audience and I'll and I'll say, let me demonstrate what singles like. Right. And so I'll go up to some lady and I'll and I'll say, Could you stand? she stands, and I say, We're gonna imagine that we're single and we're meeting for the first time. She goes, Okay. I said, So introduce yourself. So she introduces herself. She says, hi, I'm Sally. And I shake her hand and I say, Hi, I'm Dove. Who would you like me to be? <laughs> Because that's what being single is. We actually, we we pretend that we're ourselves, but we're actually, actually scanning for information about how to be. And that's what people tend to do in business. Who do you want me to be? Do you want me to be the strategist? Do you want me to be the consultant? Do you want me to be the speaker? Do you want me to be the intellect? Do you want me to be the smartest guy in the room? What do you want me to be? As opposed to, who am I? So here's who I am. I'm, you know, I'm talking about me and you can take this and be insulted by it. You can take it and think it's great. But here's who I am. I'm a deeply loving, deeply caring, deeply compassionate, deep thinker who has a great sense of humor, who will probably piss some of your people off, who cares deeply about my clients. And I will be your champion. And I will fight hard for you and I'll fight hard for my audience and I will like offend some people but I'm going to be real and I'm going to give it to you on the nose because I give a shit because I actually care and I don't, when I speak and when I work with people my my thing is I say I don't come with a smoke machine I will not be blowing smoke up your skirt I'm going to come and give you the hard truth with a ton of compassion and a ton of love and that's not for everybody if you're looking for somebody with a smoke machine that's great, there's nothing wrong with it it's just not me. If you're looking for somebody to come in and rah-rah you, I can, part of that, part, that is part of what I do, but it's not what I do. If you're looking for somebody to give you all the numbers on the graph, that's not me. So when I say, like, just be real with yourself, when people ask me how to be authentic, speak and do the things you deeply believe in. That's what entrepreneurship is. Do that and you stand out like dog's balls to use an Aussie saying.
0: <laughs> I, I've never heard that saying. Um, That's a very Australian saying. It so stands out like dog's balls. So what advice do you have for someone who's listening, who is maybe starting their own business, maybe they're thinking about starting their own business? What advice do you have for somebody on, on, on how do they do this? How do they get real? How do they go out into whatever industry they're in and just be?
1: Um, Contact me. (laughs) 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 That's my entrepreneurial moment. Contact me. No, uh, you can certainly do that. However, let me just start by saying this. I'm going to ask you to do a survey. And I want you to do the survey with, if you can, five people who know you very well. Five people who know you but don't know you very well. They're kind of acquaintances. And then five people who just met you. Right. So there'll be a first impression and then there'll be a deeper impression and then there'll be a perversion. I'll explain it. So I'm, I'm willing to, to self deprecate. I'm willing to, to put myself on the line. Do you remember when we first met, Tom? I mean, what I mean by that is we may not have even spoken. So you're just like the first.
0: Yeah, we were, of me. we were sort of in the hallway and we passed while standing over by where the, the vendors were, I, I believe.
1: Okay. Do you remember your first impression?
0: I, I thought you were gruff.
1: Gruff. Gruff. Right, what? So, so tell us what that means.
0: Uh, you you kind of seem hard-edged. You scared me because I'm kind of fluffy and nice. And, and I, right. I, I, I did not think we would be uh, fast friends.
1: Right. So there's that thing. Now, part of that, just to make sure everybody understands, part of that is me. It's because I look like I might punch you in the face. You do,
0: you do look might... like you might punch me in the face.
1: Exactly. Because I used to be a boxer, I was a martial artist, and I fell on my head. You know, these things all added to this rough look I have and, you know, the, the designer stubble and that, you know, the short hair and the, a and the muscular build, all those things, you know, they don't, they don't portray softness, right? Now, you, some of that you can't control. I can't control, I can't, you know, I could go and have facelift and do all those things and make myself look softer, but it's not who I am. So then we had a conversation. What was the impression then?
0: Oh, well, then I remember because we were at the table talking to a bunch of us who were sitting there and and you were, you know, you referred to yourself as someone who cares deeply. You cared about what was going on at the conference and and, and the whole thing and, and you were funny. And so all of a sudden there was a soft edge because you had everybody laughing, you know, a little bit, but at the same time. You were talking about sort of meaty stuff that mattered. So, so all of a sudden, then you seemed approachable and somebody who was, you know, you could learn from.
1: Right. So there's a, there's a, there's a visual image. So if I'm putting that into, I'm actually going to get you to do it. If you put the first image, gruff, into an image, like a me- metaphorical image, what would that metaphorical image be? The uh. first impression. Like a ram. A ram. Okay, good. Like a ram. And then that second impression, which is playful, funny, and caring.
0: More like a, like a, a, a slightly stern but caring professor.
1: Right. So now if you've put that together, you start to think, that starts to form a brand as an ideal. And this, this is not images you have to go with, but using these things with people helps them to sort of get to – Oh yeah, that's how I come across, right? So you know, for me, it could be the you know, uh, just using your your analogy here. So you've got this ram's head, right? But but it's my face with a red nose of a you know a clown on my on my face, right? And and, and Mister
0: Ro- wa- Mister Rogers' cardigan,
1: <laughs> boxing gloves and Mister Rogers' cardigan. Because the thing about us is that we. And I think a lot of this happens with branding. We want to sell ourselves as something. But the truth is that we're all multifaceted beings. So I can be tough if that's what's needed, but I can be deeply loving if that's what's needed. I can be deeply compassionate if that's what's needed. And I can be very knowledgeable and insightful if that's what's needed. And as an entrepreneur, we tend to think of, I've got to be this one thing. No, you don't. You, the actual the point of distinction for you in the marketplace, which is a very crowded marketplace, is actually in finding where are the different edges of who you are. Because if I look at Tom, then I go, "Oh, what is this guy? He's a speaker, or an MC speaker." That to me is couldn't be more bland, right? Because MC speakers are a little bit funny but they don't really have anything edgy to say. And it's just like, it's a lot of placation. Um, But, you know, when I got to meet you and I got to spend some time with you and you and I talked, I mean, you you know, you're a funny bastard. You've got a great dry edge, you know, um, and you're self-deprecating, but you clearly care. And you're also clearly very knowledgeable and insightful. That's not one thing. That's this unique recipe that makes for Tom. And that's what we need to, that's, that's about showing up as you, as opposed to, I'll be this. Mm. So when they hire, when they go, I just knew it was you, it wasn't because you were thinking, who do I need to be for them. In fact, I will guarantee that you have probably applied for speaking gigs where you've gone, I need to be this for them. And it's, and it's died a death. It's been a fart in a, in a spacesuit, it's just gone down terribly. And other times when you've gone, yeah, I don't even know if this is for me. You just don't really put anything into it other than I'm just going to be me. And people go, oh, my God, we got to hire this guy.
0: Yeah. No, that's, a, that's entirely the truth.
1: Right. So, well, this, this is
0: fascinating. Dov, I'm not going to let you go yet. I've got a couple of more questions. But first, okay. got to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own Podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Dov Barron. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Dov, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in your businesses
1: right now? The coolest thing I'm doing in my business right now is we're building online programs. Mm. So, actually putting together a a program to help people find their purpose. Um, It's it's something that I normally do, as I said, at a corporate level, but this is going to make it available to entrepreneurs and, and individuals. To actually find their purpose and actually tap into that, I'm actually really excited about that. Um, I, I'm putting together a TED talk uh, around that that same theme, and I have a new ebook that's coming out around the same theme as well. So I'm very excited about being on target with that. I'm also very excited that I just got invited uh, to uh, to do something at Auschwitz. Mm. Uh, which is, wow. I mean,
0: I just, like, I got chills thinking about it. What What are you doing there?
1: Well, as you know, I spoke at the UN a couple of years ago. Uh, I got to speak at the UN with a guy who I de-radicalized from being a neo-Nazi. And him and I are going to go to Auschwitz together, and I'm going to walk him through Auschwitz, and we're going to film it. Oh, my
0: God. That's going to be extravagantly powerful.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually, I got to tell you, I'm kind of... uh nervously excited about it um you know I, I had a conversation with a very good friend and a mentor of mine this morning i'm like i don't even know if this is on brand or off brand or whatever the hell it is but i just know it's important um you know uh as somebody who is an impact strategist this is something that has a great impact if you're going to follow your purpose it's about like I, i'll say i work with a company and i say you know we do the work around purpose people a lot of time individuals or companies think they have their purpose and what they have is some bullshit mission statement, which is not purpose. Purpose is deeply emotional and you're connected to it. And then they get to that purpose and we do the work and I go, okay, now what are you going to do with it? And they go, well, we're going to live it. Yeah, but what is the, who do you want to impact with it? Because that's what impact strategy is. It's putting your purpose into action to have impact. And what I know about this, this Auschwitz gig is that this is about Having impact on him, the guy who was the neo-Nazi, who's actually become a good friend of mine. And by the way, for anybody who hasn't worked it out, I was born Jewish, which is the great irony of life is that I'm walking a neo-Nazi through Auschwitz where Jews died. And I, I am actually named by him as his number one mentor, a Jew. You know, <laughs> It's beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful moment. But it's about impact. And it's about, so that for me is, a, is very exciting right now
0: wow that's that's all exciting stuff, so I love to ask the people who come on this show about who they think is cool because we could talk about Dov all day long and all the amazing things that you do. but I think the great entrepreneurs I think they're observers, so I love to ask people who do you think wow, he or she they're doing cool things
1: Well, the obvious answer is people you know um, like elon musk is is the is the easy answer because I think I think he thinks in a way that other people don't think. And that for me is always, I'm always interested in finding people who don't think the way other people think. So I have great admiration of that. Mark Levy is another one. He's a friend of mine. Uh, he wrote the accidental genius. He's actually, I was a, on, we meet once a week. We were chatting just before the show. Um, he doesn't think the way other people think. I'm always interested in people who, who are, look at the world through a different lens. Um, And so whether that's somebody who is in the world of quantum physics, whether that's somebody in the world of science, whether that's somebody in the world of psychology, you know, when I say, you know, when you ask me what moves somebody from potential to action, I say it's pain. That's not the way people normally think. It's not the answer they want, but those are the most interesting people to me. I'm very interested in the interesting people who don't think the way others think. Mm -hmm.
0: Awesome. So the last question I ask everybody is, what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think as entrepreneurs, we got to do more than make money. I think we have a responsibility to help.
1: So what do you do? It's, it's a great question. And I think it's a very important question because it aligns with purpose. So I think if you're asking, your, if you're going into business to make money, that's great. But there's going to come a point where you're going to go, what, what's the freaking point? What is it really about? And it's about the impact that you can have and the difference you can make. So the way that I give back is in all kinds of different ways. But one of the things that I like to do is I like to speak to this uh, particular group here in Vancouver where I live, um, who are a startup place for, for high school kids. Mm. And I give my time to go speak to them and inspire them and have them find the truth of who they are. That's one of the ways that I like to give back. But I think that giving back is not about the grandiose. That's a grandiose thing. It's not about the grandiose. I give back by walking down the street and acknowledging a homeless person, not looking past them, but looking at them, asking them how they're doing finding out who they are, what's their name, how did they end up here. Have a conversation with a person who you would normally ignore and you will add to that person's life in such a profound way. There's a man who sits outside of the building where my office is here in the city. His name is John, he's homeless. He's there because he worked and he got leukemia and he didn't have enough money to take care of himself. I know who his family are, I know how he ended up on the street. And when I pass him by, he calls me by my name and I call him by his name. And when I pull up in a car, which I often walk to work, but if I pull up in my car, he gets up and holds the space for me. And if I put money in the meter and the money runs out, he feeds the meter for me. I've never asked him to do it. Hmm. Give back in the most humane way. It's not grandiose. It's simple. It's a smile on a street. It's asking somebody how you're doing and And, actually fucking listening.
0: And and I even talk to people on a a, probably not as deep of a level because it doesn't have to be even that homeless person. I mean I think there's an epidemic of of loneliness. The past – a a surgeon general wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review in the fall called The Epidemic of Loneliness. I think that was the title, and it was all about how – More people feel lonely, even in crowds. I mean, you don't have to be homeless. You can be successful. And I talk about it when I speak at conferences. And I've only started speaking about it recently. And I I, I have a slide that just says, see people. And I had a woman come up to me recently (laughs) at a conference where I spoke. And she was on the verge of tears. And she said, I'm an extrovert. And so everyone assumes, because I'm the life of the party, that I'm happy. She goes, and I feel invisible. She goes, nobody's ever said that before. And... I sort of picked up on this a while ago, but it was driven home. The week after I was with you, I went to I went back to California for the funeral of my cousin's wife, and she married into the family when I was eight years old, and mm-hmm. she was very good to me. I, I'm the 26th grandchild of 26 grandchildren, and the Whoa. next grandchild above me was like six or seven years older, and my next brother is nine or ten years older, so I was much younger. So when I was eight or ten— All of my cousins were in college and beyond and getting married, and she noticed that I was older than all of the next generation, the second cousins, but I was too young to be a peer with my own cousins, and she saw me, and she always paid attention. And Then when I was 15 and my mom got breast cancer and eventually died when I was 18, she pulled me aside a couple of times and said, nobody else, kind of pointing to our large family of 100 people, nobody else knows what you're going through. I lost my dad when I was a teenager. I know, you always can turn to me. And I used to stop at their house uh, after my mom, when she was ill, and then after she passed away, when I would drive home to see my dad, they lived halfway on the two-hour drive, and I would stop at her house, and she always seemed to be welcoming. Now, as an adult, I'm thinking, like, you really want your 20-year-old cousin ringing the doorbell unannounced because there were no cell phones, I couldn't text, just showing up when you have three little kids in diapers, like, I must have been a nightmare. And I decided I needed to go to her funeral, even though we hadn't kept a touch as me being an adult, but her husband said, you know, she always loved you stopping by. She said it kept her reminded of her college days because she'd asked me about the the fraternity and about dances and about, you know, I worked at a sorority house yeah. as a busboy and she saw me at that stage in my life. And that really has resonated with me. So when you said that, I got, I kind of got those chills again because it's not just the homeless person who needs you to see them. It might be your husband or your wife or your next door neighbor or your boss who just needs you to say. And I always tell people that the, the greeting in India, Namaste, my understanding of the translation is it translates to, I see you or more appropriately, I see your soul. And, and that's something the that's become very important me to me. The spirit
1: in me salutes the spirit in you. The soul of me sees the soul in you. Yeah. And it's uh, in, my, in my work, I speak about it from the stage, but in my work, um, working privately with individuals, um, there will come a point where I will look at them and I will take their face in my hand. It's very intimate. And I'll say, I see you. And that doesn't happen right away. And and because uh, again, from the platform, one of the things that I speak about is the need to belong Need to belong is being seen. And that most of us, as, as you just said, I, I speak out the same thing. Most of us don't feel seen. We don't feel like we belong. And most of us are acting out in order to be seen. Mm-hmm. That kid with the shitty behavior is just trying to be seen. And if you would stop for a moment and look at them and say, I had a kid that one of my clients brought, said, would you see my son? It's not my work. Would you see my son? I said, absolutely. 15-year-old kid, pain in the ass shitty attitude. And I said, I talked to him, clearly getting nowhere. And I said, can we stop? And he said, yep, I'd like that. I'd like to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) That's what he said to me. And I said, you can leave on one condition. You allow me to do one thing. And he goes, what's that? I said, you allow me to touch you on the face while I look you in the eye. And he said, okay. You know, very resistant arms folded. And I just took his head in my hands And I looked him in the eye and I said, I see you because I am you. (laughs) And he got really choked up and then pissed off and left. I saw his dad the week after. He said he's transformed a kid.
0: It's so interesting because we didn't talk about any of this. And yet there's such a synergy in what I've been dealing with in, in in my work. Uh, on a different level, but still at the same time, that's so interesting. The whole thing of, I see you, we had never talked about that before. And so I'm really no, glad. Not that, at I'm, all. I'm really glad that we wrapped up this episode with that. I think that's, I think that's very, very meaningful. And, and I think that's, uh, I, I want my friend Jake to listen to this last part. Cause I just told him the other day, I get you because I was you, I am you, you're me, I get it. And so I, when you said that, I was like, huh, Jake's got to listen to that. Cause that'll, that'll resonate pretty heavily. Hey, Dov, thank you so much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If someone is listening to this and they're like, I got to know more about this Dov Baron," how do they find you?
1: you find me at fullmontyleadership.com. I'd love that. It's my main website where, yeah, where you'll find my blog. There's 400 articles on there. You can find access to my podcast um, on there as well. There's seven seasons and 500 episodes or something. You'll find me on uh, YouTube, Dov Baron, Full Monty Leadership. On LinkedIn, of course, Dov Baron. Twitter, at The Dov Baron. Instagram, Dov Baron. Leadership. Wait a minute. There
0: was another, on Twitter, there was another Dov Baron. You had to be The Dov
1: Baron. No, there was me before. Oh, okay. and I actually dumped the old, because old, I had 60,000 followers, and I, I started fresh from nothing hmm. um, and came back because uh, we wanted to get rid of spammers and stuff. But nice. So you find me on all those avenues. I write for Entrepreneur Magazine and a bunch of other outlets. Uh, it's not hard to find me just... Google D-O-V B-A-R-O-N. And I'm everywhere. You can and here's the thing. I want you to reach out to me. I want you to tell me what you got out of this. No, and tell me what you're going to do. As I said, let Tom know too. I'm going to give you my personal email, dov at dovbaron.com. D-O-V at D O V B A R O N Listen, I give it out and people go, Oh, you must be crazy. Do you know how many responses I get? Not that it's many. Not really. No. No. Most people don't really give a shit.
0: I do. If you got chills at any point during this interview, email them.
1: Exactly. Tell me what you got out of it and what you're going to do with it. And if I can help you, I will help you. That's why I'm here on the planet. I am here to serve. If I can help you, I will. And sometimes the help I'll give you is not me. I'll say, you need to go talk to Tom. You need to go talk to somebody else. But I will guide you and I will direct you. Reach out to me. Let me know how I can serve you.
0: Well, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you serving us here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and I say it every time, thank you to the audience, because if it wasn't for you tuning in, we wouldn't have a show. So you can find us on uh, Facebook, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do on Twitter, at Cool Podcast. If you want to join the group coaching program, the uh, Potential Mastermind Project, go to PotentialMastermind.com. Of course, you can always find me at TomSinger.com. And you can jump over to iTunes, and you can leave a review. You can subscribe. Either way, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Dov Barron. I know you're thinking, how in the world will you ever find somebody? <laughs> but we will. And, and in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com
1: and follow him on Twitter at at tom.singer.